This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Hi, everyone. I'm Lindsay Stein. I'm the editor of Campaign U.S., What I love about content is that the word is so broad, and it could be an article, it could be a six-second video, or it could be a full-length feature, and you can consume content in so many ways today. There's an outsider disrupting the ad industry. Only her tool of disruption is journalism, reporting on the world of content, and holding the ad industry accountable while creating a standard for doing business the right way all in an effort to transform advertising as we know it. Coming up, you're going to hear from the editor for Campaign US, a global business magazine covering advertising, media, marketing, and commercial creativity. Lindsay's going to share the four pillars of progress and how Campaign US is holding the ad industry responsible for doing good work while doing it the right way. How she's found so much positivity in an industry sometimes seen as jaded. And also... A look at the need for more recognition for young creative people who are driving the best work. From New York City, you're listening to Content Is Your Business. Conversations with industry leaders and influencers covering the strategy and innovation of brand storytelling. Welcome, everybody. And I want to really welcome Lindsay Stein, editor of Campaign US. Lindsay, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And uh, also Amber Mundinger. Thanks for having me. (laughs) And Natasha Chultenbaum. Lovely to be here. And I want to start off with the first question, which uh, right off the bat for you, Lindsay, which is this. Creativity in advertising is dead or creativity in advertising has never been better and a better opportunity to be more creative? I love this question. Um, I wrote an op-ed maybe a month or so ago called This is the Next Golden Age of Advertising um, because I hate the naysayers in the industry right now. It's changing. It's difficult. Um, There are obviously like budgets are getting thinner and the fight for talent is real and all of that. But it's so exciting. It's the most exciting time to experiment. Um, And if you look at the word golden age throughout history, it's when there have been tough times overcome and feats were overcome and art flourished and politics flourished and business flourished. And that's what we're in now. And we just industry like the industry has to adapt to the change and evolve with it. Um, And what is um, what are some of the trends? Who's doing this well? And what is the opportunity in front of us with these multiple platforms? Because everyone thinks like, oh, the way it, you know, we used to make a 30 second TV spot and we'd cut it down to a 15 second and that was the campaign for the year. And now we're just cranking out content like who in your mind, either brands or agencies are actually taking advantage of the opportunities that's in front of them? I really like what VML YNR has done um, because they've really used creativity and technology together. Um, they've done some really outside of the box campaigns. Uh, when I went into their office before Can, they showed me the stuff that they submitted for Can, And most of it, I would say probably 85% to 90 was not traditional advertisement. It wasn't a 30 second spot. It was, um, you know, going into Fortnite and using getting Wendy's in there or, um, you know, it was, I'm trying to think of some other good examples of that. Um, I also think it's just about culture and adapting to culture, which if you go back to the way, you know, marketing was back in the day, like Levi's defined culture back in the day. So the brands that are doing that still are the ones that are going to stand out telling human stories, 
obviously what Nike's doing, like taking a stance on social issues. Not that every brand needs to do that, but I think that's an example of tapping into culture in the right way. I'm a big fan of P&G and Mark Pritchard and what he's doing, um, the talk and now the look, fighting racial bias. And I think having a big brand back issues like that is so important. And it, you know, stuff like that can really change the world. And now there are brands out there you think that are just a bit too ahead of the time. Um, the brands you're talking about, you know, their campaigns are successful in the moment. People are recognizing the creativity and the beauty and the art of it all. But there are people out there who are just pushing the margins a bit too far and it's going to take time for culture to catch up? That's a good question. Uh, I don't know if I've seen anything too far yet. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Or are there, like, for example, you're mentioning Nike and P&G. Mm-hmm. Are there other smaller brands that maybe are doing it really well but not getting the same lift in terms of awareness that, that you've seen? Yeah, I feel like there are, there are a bunch of DTC brands that are launching, and I think it's just hard to cut through the clutter today mm-hmm. with that, um, with smaller media budgets. Right. Uh, also, some nonprofits have been doing really awesome work. Um, this work hasn't come out yet, but I really like what UNICEF, its new angle, is going to be about a badass do-gooders. Um, so I think that's like a really nice human way mm-hmm. into it. Um, so yeah, there are some nonprofits doing some really great work that haven't really been out there yet. I also think there's some brands doing some really good work partnering with like artists and influencers. Um, actually, here's an example. So Airbnb is doing some really interesting things. I don't think it's getting a lot of press around um, specific activations in cities. So they had, I think it was in Arizona, they had this woman who likes to like take her kids to cooking classes and she they were like why don't you shoot a small video and she's an influencer and bring your daughter to a cooking class and then you can we can use that content and it's like a cheap way to get content out there she brought Mm -hmm. her daughter Mm -hmm. for the day and you know so stuff like that and that's not really been reported that much but those type of stories are really human and kind of quick and Mm -hmm. affordable so for the audience out there i also work in advertising so i'm so curious because you're offering a third party an un varnished, if you will, look under the hood and you can observe everything and and call it out where you see it. Where do you see the roadblock to being more creative? Do you see it on the client side from the from the CMOs and brand brand marketers who know that I'm just going to be on this brand for a year or two years and then I'm going to roll off. And if I don't have X, Y and Z, do you see the problem being on the brand side or do you see it being on agency and agency creatives who may be like, I want to make this big, glossy $2 million Super Bowl spot. Where do you see the roadblock to creativity? That's a good question. I think it's actually both, and it really depends. Um, so you have some brand CMOs who really do want to push the envelope, um, and they're going to the board of directors, and they're like Shelly Diamond at UNICEF is an example, even though it's a nonprofit, who she went to the board and she was like, we have a problem. Everyone thinks UNICEF is like those little orange um, containers you collect pennies in from like the 1950s. We need to change this. I want to invest in marketing. Uh, so she stood up in front of the board and did that. Um, and then you have, you know, I can't say what brand this is because it's mm-hmm. off the record, but there was a very big sports brand. And recently the CEO pushed back with the CMO and said, you know, we are not an entertainment company. We're more of a, we're a sports company and we're a retail company. So we shouldn't be doing so much entertainment, um, which mm-hmm. I think is wrong. And I disagree with that. But so we have that. But then also I talked to, um, I think it was Matt Bull, who used to be this chief of sort of, um, low in South Africa and in London and McGarry Bowen here. And he's been a creative for a long time. Now he's a consultant. And he said he thinks one of the biggest problems is that young creatives today are taught to kind of stay to the brief. 
mm-hmm. in school. Mm-hmm. And he thinks back in the day, it was more like the chief creative officer or ECD would go in and be like, here's the problem with the brand. Here's what we have to do. And wasn't as afraid to push the envelope. Um, so I think we need to get people to be a little less scared of the brand and their job is to push the brand and to, you know, get the brand out of their comfort zone because some of the best work is created that way. It's mm, a great point. Um, I especially like that. Just the fear. I mean, it's something we see too. It's, it's where, do you think that's being taught? Do you think that is a, it's only a cultural an advertising specific cultural, um, mindset that needs to be broken and retrained or do you think it's just like or do you think that's like a human psyche thing you're like well no we just have to do what they asked us to do and let's just stick with this and this is what we agreed upon that's hard to say per industry but um what i would say is that i think the younger generations gen z are going to be really outside of the box and i think they're going to push more than maybe the millennials have or even um gen x has because they seem to be really like raw and real and they say what's on their mind so i think the next wave of uh, people, kids we see that are coming into this industry or others are really going to push the envelope a bit. Perhaps it's the game of numbers, though, because if budgets are being constrained, yeah. it's like True. the RFP sausage factory. You know, just yeah. get through them, get mm-hmm. through them, give the client what they want to hear and what potentially what yeah, they want the to see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but how is that in terms of the budget side of the biz- the business side of this? How have you seen the industry change now? And what do you think it's going to look like moving forward? Yeah, I mean, you're seeing some consolidation, obviously, within the big holding companies um, because it's a way to cut overhead and back end costs um, and get rid of some of the redundancies. Like, you know, maybe you don't need 150 people on one account. Maybe you can do that. You know, not that I'm saying people should lay people off, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying I think they're like reevaluating that. Um, and I do see some marketers, even though they're their budgets are getting, you know, tighter and uh, margins are getting thinner, but they are investing in different ways. Like, you know, like I was talking to HP and they're just investing more in programmatic and more in digital and more in data and less in like big TV spots. Um, so I've seen some agencies try to adapt that way and try to think less about the big TV spot and just mm-hmm. maybe a little more earned media and mm-hmm. get more experiential stuff has been really big. Um, so yeah, that changing. And then I also see brands partnering more with influencers and um, artists, uh, activists. So you're seeing a bunch of different brand partnerships and even publishers like Ariana Huffington p- partnering with P&G. You're seeing like all of these different types mm-hmm. of creative partnerships coming out. What are some of the experiential things that you're seeing that you think are really exciting? Oh, let's see. Um, I'm trying to think. I went to South by Southwest, of course, and there's always some interesting things there. Um, my favorite activations or like experiences yeah some of the pop-up stuff is great and like you know museum of ice cream and stuff is fun and it's instagram bait and it's Mm -hmm. you know fun to take photos of um but i like the stuff that is purposeful so there was uh you know if you're in well this one was actually in can and it was png again i don't want to keep talking about png but this (laughs) one was sk2 which is a luxury lotion company and they took me around and they were like look at this countertop and don't touch anything. So I looked at one lotion and it like lit up and it told me about the lotion. And then I turned my head Mm. and I looked down to the right and it lit up. And the more you look at it, the longer it tells you Mm. about that lotion. And it's because if you're trying on lotions, you don't want to touch it. And so it's kind of a really interesting way to do it. Um, I did a 5D experience with Accenture Interactive, which was really interesting. Um, And I don't know how useful that's going to be. It seems a little more gamey, but it was really fun. That was really... Cool. Do you think that um do you think that in terms of trends in the business of content, right? 
that experiential is a place to get more bang for your buck because the brand is in direct contact with their with their consumer versus the three second, you know, thumb feeding on maybe like a, a mobile phone or a device. Yeah, I'm all about experiences. Um, I think they're amazing way because it's word of mouth. Uh, you get that Instagram, you know, too. You get the people posting about it and you get people talking mm-hmm. about it and sharing it. Um, I'm seeing a lot more marketers. We just did a study recently that the marketing budgets, they are investing more in experiences this year than previous years. Mm-hmm. I think it was something like 33% more than the last couple of years. Um and, you know, it could be a pop-up shop in, like, Manhattan, or it could be just an experience, like, at CES or South By. Like, you know, HBO always does a good job with their experiences. But the one they did with um, Game of Thrones, they did get a lot of blood donations from that in um, South by Southwest. So it was a way to do good and also get people excited about the brand. One question I have that we're debating in within the walls of, of our agency, um, and just in terms of I am on a... Uh, a client project right now. I won't name the client, but um, we're have we have this inter- eternal question, which is what is success? What's our success metric? What is the ultimate KPI we should that they want? But what should we really want? Because there's this talk about views and shares and engagements, and um, but then there's right media spend, which can like throw off those numbers. And now we're talking about earned media. We've seen it with Nike. We've seen it with um, the New York Times. We've seen it with Viva La Volva, a lot of different campaigns. Should earned media be the new metric that all campaigns, all agencies, all brands are judged by? I don't think it should be entirely judged by that, but I did spend – so before um, campaign, I was at AdAge. Before that, I was at PR Week for five years, and I covered marketing, but also from a PR standpoint, from an earned media standpoint. I'm a huge proponent of earned media. I think it's amazing, and it should be built into every campaign. It shouldn't be the sole measure because impressions and views and likes and all of that isn't, you know, that's not going to show how it affects the bottom line, mm-hmm. which is, you know, why we're in this business. You know, the content has to move the needle also. Um, but it should definitely be built in. And I think all content is earned media because you need to earn consumers' eyes today. Mm-hmm. Like we're overrun with content. So you're earning their attention. So that's always should be like a big part of any campaign. You were saying that you were just at Cannes. What are some of the 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 things that you saw or the stories that were being told that really got you excited about, I mean, and talking about you just doing this op-ed about the golden age of advertising, like how did that kind of re-excite you or inspire you about what's going on? Yeah, I loved Cannes this year because it, there were more marketers than ever this year. It was so exciting to see that. Um, I did one roundtable and it was 12 marketers on the roundtable. And afterwards we were, you know, talking and um, Richard Oppie from AB InBev said they brought 60 people this year, which is a lot more than they've brought in previous years. Um, and General Mills brought 20 and they usually bring five. So that's really exciting. And, you know, there was just there were brand activations all over the place and there was such excitement. And I, I think when you have marketers investing in that creativity, that is great for the whole industry. And what prompted you to write the article? I did um, an interview with George Lois, who's a revolutionary um, art designer, uh, art director. Uh, from the, he was pretty revolutionary in the 1960s. Um, he did the bit, like most famous Tommy Hill um, ad of all time, and he did like I want my MTV. Anyway, fantastic. He's great. He also could be kind of a curmudgeon, and mm-hmm. I <laughs> got off of that call, and I was pretty disheartened because he was just like. 
the industry sucks, word for word. And I led my feature with that, which was in our global issue. The industry sucks. There's no talent. Um, I was just struggling on that call for like 45 minutes. I was like, tell me something, George, like anything good. Like, <laughs> And he was like, no, it's it's all it's all bad, all doom and gloom. And I just was so sad about that because I disagree. So I had to do like a counterpiece. And where are you seeing um, that's it's an interesting that he's, you know, lays out the argument that there's no talent. Um would you say – I mean do you think there's – I mean I'm seeing at least talent coming from non-traditional yeah. places, not ad school, etc. Is that a fair assess- – is he making an assessment on kids that are coming out of ad school or is that an assessment, a, a true assessment of the talent that's in this industry? He said both and he said he just doesn't see it anywhere. I also kind of wonder and I don't want to you know, bad mouth. I wonder if he's as in touch with the industry mm, as he right. used to be. If he, mm-hmm. I think he's late 80s. Maybe he's not – as in touch with that Um, because I'm seeing amazingly talented people and there still are amazing people. I feature people who are also unique voices in the industry all the time. And I love that. Like I did a Q and a with um, the, her Nate, well, they, the, I'm going to call them. They Um, Gigi is a drag queen and she is the, they are the creative director um, for vice in APAC. And there's just so many amazing talented people and they were on um drag race thailand tv show and that's how was that leo burnett before and then vice saw Gigi on this show and asked Gigi to join and she is full-time like drag queen at night and creative director during the day and would that have happened 30 years ago (laughs) that's amazing it's like yeah and there's so many unique voices out there that i think aren't being covered as much and you you hear people say oh there's no more characters in the industry like maybe there's bob greenberg still you know gary v obviously is like you know personality mm-hmm. in the industry but they're they're like oh like there used to be those characters they're not there they are there people just aren't covering them as much mm-hmm. uh we've got a lot more to get into with lindsey stein um but first we have the all important question what did you bring for a snack okay so <laughs> <laughs> i brought m&ms I brought yes. regular peanut and white chocolate. So the reason why is because I'm from Hackettstown, New Jersey, born and raised. My parents still live there. Uh, it's a small town outside of um, like Allentown, Pennsylvania. And the M&M's factory, the Mars factory is there. It's in mm-hmm. pretty much like my backyard across the Muskinacon River. And it still smells like chocolate. And it is a big deal <laughs> because it's pretty much farmland and then the M&M factory. So... Everyone and like so many people work at the M&M factory or like the hospitals. So my dad worked in one of the local hospitals, but he would get all like the new M&Ms that would come out all the time because he had friends, you know, friends of friends who worked there. Um, there are M&M things all over my house. People are very proud of M&Ms in my hometown. <laughs> so, so fun. That is a yeah. It's a, that's What's it. the most unique M&M like creation that you've gotten to try or that your dad's received? Oh, man. Um There's just, even just now, like when I was buying these, I haven't tried it. There's like a coffee flavored one. There's just like, I think they're going a little too crazy because peanut is clearly the best one. Oh, yes. 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 Come on. Oh, the peanut. Oh, peanut butter is really good. And actually harder to find. Yes. Pretzel's not bad, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, we're, I'm going to throw to a break. And uh, by the time you finish listening to this entire podcast, Lindsay might have a deal with M&M's to be an influencer that may or may not happen, but stay something like that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Entreprenista. 
A woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entrepreneurista podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurstopodcast.com. Uh, we're back from break. Learned a lot of interesting things in this break. One is Eminem has already reached out during this recording. They went back in time. They signed Lindsay to a deal, so that has happened. Next and Super Bowl spot. Congratulations. Uh-huh. Next Super Bowl spot. You'll be in the it. next Eminem. Yep. And we also found out Lindsay's mom is going to be listening to this podcast. Say hi to your mom, Lindsay. Hi, mom. And I love you. I'm going to get jealous of here. <laughs> and if mom wants to leave a comment uh, and an embarrassing story about uh-huh, Lindsay uh-huh. from her childhood, that's totally okay. It's and all do. equally happy to interview mom as well. We're all yeah. we're all friends here. Totally. We're all friends here now. Let's get into your story, not non Eminem story. Um, but how did you get a start in journalism and like, was this something you always wanted to do, uh, growing yeah. up? I, so for, there was a while I wanted to be a vet, veterinarian. Um, so I shouted at a vet's office in like, in Hackettstown, the Hackettstown Animal Hospital. And I, um, didn't like it. It was actually kind of boring. And like the vet just comes in and does like a surgery. I watched like a dog get neutered and then the nurses kind of do more of the work. And then I was like, I don't want to do this. And I've always liked to write. Uh, I was on the um, like high school newspaper and all of that stuff. And so then I went to Newhouse, a Syracuse uh, for journalism. Um, and then I my first job out of college was covering local sports in Montclair, New Jersey, because I thought I wanted to be like Aaron Andrews. Um, so I did like High school basketball and high school football, middle school. I did some Pop Warner football and Little League baseball. And uh, the parents are definitely the craziest ones. <laughs> I was just going to say, what was the tipping yeah. point that made you decide, like, you know what? No one too many crazy parents. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like they, if you got, like, even something really small wrong and it was, like, an eight-year-old game, they would still be like, this is going to be used for college and you have to get that right. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is really intense. Um but uh, but yeah. So after that, I um, I had a friend working in advertising in New York, and he was working at KBS at the time, and they were doing a Jose Cuervo shoot, and he was like, "Do you want to come for the day? Be part of this shoot. You could be in the background. You could drink tequila, and it'll be kind of like fun." And I was like, "Sure, yeah, it'd be great." So I went, and I was in the background, and this guy, um, Jonah Bloom, who used to be the uh, editor of um, PR Week, and he was also the editor of Ad Age, uh, was now, he was working at KBS um, as a chief strategy officer, and he was just talking to me, and he's like, what do you do? I said, I'm a journalist in New Jersey. He said, I want to read some of your stuff. Uh, He said, I'm a former journalist, and then he put me in for a job at PR Week, and he was like, I know it seems boring because it's PR and it's marketing. He said, but it's not. And you could still do interviews with the CMO of like the NHL or the NBA, which I did. Uh, he's like, so you're still kind of covering sports in a different mm-hmm. way and you're going to learn a lot. Um, so I moved to New York and that was uh, been covering this industry about 10 years now. Um, and then from there I went to Adage. And then now I'm here for about 15 months, mm-hmm. a campaign. 
what when you when you switched over from sports into PR week, like what was one of your most memorable interviews? Oh, let's see. Um, I think covering the sports stuff at first was really exciting. Um, so I did an interview with Mike Bass, uh, who is still at the NBA. He's the head of comms there. Um, I did interview with the team of the Yankees, which was really exciting. And I got to go to Yankee Stadium. Um, so that was, those are probably some of my favorite ones. And then, I mean, I got to just meet amazing people who were still in the industry, like Bon and Bo. I did a feature on like a cover story on Bon and, but he was at, oh, was he at Pepsi at the time? Yeah. And then he went to Kraft Mondelez and now he's doing his yeah. own thing. But, um, I think just meeting those people who are still in the industry in some way, but they're all moved all over the place mm-hmm. like they usually do. Cause I covered mainly CMOs and as you know, CMOs, the tenure is not long, so got to meet a bunch of them and did you know about like did you grow up like loving advertising and loving ads or like here you are going from pop warner football (laughs) to uh getting eight-year-olds wrong names wrong and then going to talking (laughs) to (laughs) the head of comms at the nba or the nhl and all of that and like was it an easy did you have to like kind of you know hide the fact you, you you were new to this like how did you make the transition and then when did you figure out you loved this um yeah fake it to you make it no I, I remember my first week when um my editor-in-chief who's one of my best friends and my biggest mentors uh steve barrett um he's the editorial director of pr week still he said like there's an rfp going out for this brand like et cetera, et cetera. and i was like what the hell is an rfp like i had i just was like <laughs> googling like frantically <laughs> you're like, you're like uh-huh Avon, yeah totally. and like an ogilvy's the aor and i was like aor got right yep. yeah i totally know yep. what that is and I, <laughs> just, got it. I spent a lot of nights researching things i asked a lot of questions um that's something i always tell people is just don't be afraid to ask questions mm-hmm. uh because i really want to understand it mm-hmm. and yeah that was it i just kind of dug into it i um the news editor at the time, uh, Rose, was really – she was great. She was really hard on me, but she was really good and, um, you know, that was – it was good learning experience. And and how did you end up at Campaign and what kind of mark do you want to leave on that organization? Yeah, so I was at um, Adage and, you know, I still love all the people there. I love Adage. I was there for three and a half years um, and um, – Claire Beale, the um, global editor-in-chief of Campaign, I'd met her briefly in Cannes the year before. Um, and Campaign had tried to build out in the U.S. about five years ago, and it just didn't work out for a number of reasons. They weren't just couldn't figure out the commercial um, aspect of it here. Uh, they hired a big staff without making any money first, which, you know, didn't doesn't work. Um, and it was being pretty regulated by the U.K. office. Uh, so... And the U.S. market's just so different in a lot of ways. So um, Claire reached out and said that they were looking for someone to leave this office and they would let them be autonomous. And I asked a million questions and she was very patient and they were making money. So that was good. Good sign. Um, and, yeah, I just decided to take the leap and kind of lead this here. I mean, the mark I want to leave here, um, I have four pillars that I wanted to focus on and we've been doing a really good job with that. So it's female empowerment. So we have our Female Frontier Awards, which are amazing. Um, we have our Power Purpose Awards. It's like purpose-driven like cause work. Our Inclusivity and Creativity Awards um, are actually launching this week again, and that's about work that represents modern culture accurately. It doesn't have to be just like an LGBT spot. It's just work that actually shows what modern culture is like today. Mm-hmm. Um, and our Digital 40 over 40 is about ageism. So we have all of these kind of different buckets that I want to check. And Aside from that, I want to celebrate creativity. I think that every industry is only as good as its trade. So I want to help 
elevate the industry and celebrate it, but also call it out when it needs to be called out, um, which is why we do things like our maternity, maternity and fraternity um, story where we got all holding companies and agencies to submit their policies. And if they didn't, we would call them out on that, too. Um, and oh, wow. we had people reach out from all over saying, like, Havas reached out to us and they said, wow, we read this and we sent it around globally and it made us realize that we have to reevaluate some of our own policies. And that's going to be a thing we do every year. And we want to hold agencies accountable for that. Um, So, yeah, that's the market. Wow. That's a lot. I mean, that's so it sounds like you're really, you know, trailblazing. And here you are. It's sitting on the outside now observing what you're being putting my documentary hat on for a second observing what you're throwing out there you are an industry outsider coming into the industry and disrupting on the journalism side how do you in this business because from what i'm taking campaign is obviously huge in uk um and has quite a footprint globally but here in the u.s you have ad age you have ad week and to a certain extent fast company you've got established you know um publishers that you're going up against, how do you help your company build a brand? Um, and then how do you can grow that brand and make sure you get the level you, you're trying to get to? Yeah, I mean, I think it really comes down to passion and, um, you know, been covering this industry like a decade and anyone who knows me knows I'm super passionate. I'm passionate about this job and pretty much anything I do in life. I think passion should be your driving force in life. And um, I think people can feel that energy and passion from campaign. And I feel like I brought that there. And then my associate editor, Oliver, is the same way, just as passionate and just as excited. And he wants to see change in the industry the way I do and also celebrate it and celebrate some of the amazing creative work and the amazing voices and people out there. So I think just kind of we're all over the place. We go to every industry event we can. Um, We work all the time, but it doesn't feel like work when you love it. And so I think that energy and bringing that and then our awards, like, you know, the Female Frontier Awards um, is a way to break through from the commercial side that's helping us make money. So right now we're hiring. I'm hiring a senior reporter, which we just put up on Friday and already have a bunch of people who applied. So I'm very excited about that. Um, So kind of just keep building that team out. And we're doing some print still. Uh, we're going to do print in September for Advertising Week. So, yeah. How have you seen consumption of trade co- content evolve from your time at PR Week to Ad Age to now? So when I was at PR Week, it was monthly in print. Um, and we were not gated when I first joined there. And then we wound up moving not monthly. I think it was like bi-monthly eventually. And then we gated. And then Ad Age was still monthly, I believe, but now I think they're toying with that and it was gated. Um, and it, basically print is difficult. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. really hard, <laughs> but the campaign print is so beautiful. Um, but it is, and people still do want print. Even here, they ask me like, why aren't you doing more print? I'm like, it's like, it is a lot of work and you need to get, it's a lot of money and a lot of work and a lot of resources. Um, but the gating is interesting. We are free in the U S for now. We are going to be doing some sort of paid subs model um, soon and maybe a global subscription model, which makes sense because right now you have a login for Campaign Asia or Campaign Middle East and a login for Camp for London, and they're all different than the U.S. So if you're like, you know, a global agency or brand, right. you have to log in all differently. Mm-hmm. You might as well have one global subscription. I want to ask you a little bit about these these pillars that that you have sort of like has been the, become the manifesto for campaign. Um, in terms of gender um, and equality issues, are we there yet? Are we getting there? What have you seen improved and what still needs to be held accountable and is not doing what, what it should? 
Um, did you know that Are We There Yet is one of our weekly columns? No, I did not. <laughs> Shameless plug, um, though. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, thanks for that. Um, so that's a we ask uh, industry professionals to tell me, are we there yet? But it could be any sort of industry issue. It doesn't have to be like gender or diversity. It's mainly about those issues, though. Um, I We are seeing... There, I mean, there's a lot of positive momentum. We're seeing a lot, a lot more women in power positions. Obviously, the big holding companies are still being run by middle-aged white men, which I think that'll be a big shift when that changes. It'll be nice to see that. Um, whether it's a person of color or it's a woman, it'd be different. Uh, that'd be great. Um, but even not even on the women's side, but for Digital 40 Over 40, and I'm writing an op-ed about it this week, uh, we had you know, a lot of submissions and probably a handful of people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be about 40% women, which is pretty good. But I was shocked. And people always say, you know, we're out there. There are people of color there. There are black people in the industry. There are Hispanic people in the industry. They're just not being submitted for awards maybe as much. So mm-hmm. that's something I'm going to call out uh, this week. Um, on the brand side, I'm seeing a lot more really kick-ass female CMOs. I'm on a panel during advertising week, and it's with four amazing CMOs of brands, and they're all women, um, like the CMO of Hershey um, and the chief brand officer of General of J.P. Morgan. So that's going to be really exciting to see these like heavy hitter women. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to focus more on them. But then it comes down to also having it in their like exec board and their leadership teams, which hasn't quite trickled down yet. Um, so I'm thinking maybe in the next 10 years, you're going to get more diversity in those senior roles. Can you can you use this platform you're on right now to speak directly to CMOs, ad agency, hopefully managing directors, whoever's listening to this right now? What aren't they doing that they should be doing? Like what can they do? What easy thing can they do to start ma- rectifying this situation? Oh, let's see. So, I mean, I think joining a lot of the organizations that are out there is great. Like the 3% conference is great. Um, 4As has its own program like MAPE, which has uh, interns and a lot of um, young, diverse interns there, and they help them get jobs. Uh, Ad Color is coming up, and it's my one of my favorite events of the year. Um, it's in LA, and I think it's like Tiffany R. Warren who leads. That's amazing. And that platform like that conference is so raw and real and it touches on issues that i think no one else is talking about in the industry um so i feel like send people to those events Mm -hmm. and also someone Mm -hmm. told me this recently and i love this they told me that one ceo whenever he gets invited to an awards luncheon or something and he could bring guests only brings young people there and Mm -hmm. so i feel like that's your opportunity to bring Mm -hmm. young people and people of color and young women and bring them and help like bring them to an awards event like a black tie event and have Mm -hmm. them experience Mm -hmm. that yeah and it's Um, got to be a conscious thing has yeah yeah so like take just an afterthought yeah yeah um and also you know give people a chance you know like you need to I'm not saying you only hire women or only hire people of color, but you need to make sure that they're part of the process for HR. You need to make sure that you're seeing everybody and that you're looking in different places. You're not just looking at the same, you know, homogenized group Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to wrap up Um, a lot more burning questions with Lindsay. Um, Hi, mom. (laughs) Let us know how we're doing. We hope to meet you soon. (laughs) Text Lindsay. She misses you. We'll be right back. to laugh 
Do you love great interviews with a lot of heart? Do you like good stories? Do you like to hear about life? Well, good news, because if you listen to a show called Funny People Talking, all of that happens, right, Danielle? All of it happens. Every single thing you said on that list and more. Elsie, does any of it not happen? It all happens. Come on, Elsie. It really happens. Okay, well, you should join us on Funny People Talking on Mouth Media Network. You can find us anywhere you can find a great podcast. And I know it's true because these people loved it. (laughs) Only for a short time while they were listening to the show, Then Life Sucked. Listen to Funny People Talking. touch on instagram and facebook at mouth media network and find prior episodes at contentisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found and we're back uh trading places is apparently the theme for today (laughs) lindsay we've swapped roles you are in the hot seat the three of us get to pepper you with questions and see if you crack. Um, just kidding. Um, but uh, but I think what I want to find out from you is this. As a journalist, but especially as an editor, your goal, the goal should be you're a gatekeeper of information, right? That means like you have this amazing responsibility slash opportunity to give people a perspective maybe they aren't seeing. How do you make sure that you are staying aware and alert of the things that could then be consumed by all of us in this room, listening at home. How do you make sure that you um, stay, keep a 30,000 foot view so you know what's going on so you can go, you know, there's something great happening here in in Asia. There's something great happening in South Africa. Like, how do you do it? Um, well, I would say I'm definitely lucky to have a global team. Um, and we have, you know, global WhatsApp group and we all talk about what's going on per market or if there's a global review out, we'll be like, oh, you know, like Ford has a global review out. It doesn't right now, but mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, um, don't start but, new rumors yeah. on this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, so that's, that's great to have that resource. I'm, it's hard to keep track of everything. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm on my phone a lot. I like I'm always texting people and I do rely on people to reach out to me. And, um, you know, I know I mentioned this earlier before the podcast, but my cell phone number is on the website. So people text me all the time or they DM me on Instagram or DM me on Twitter and they'll tell me and I love it. They'll be like, oh, you know, this could be an interesting story. Or did you know this? Or um, this one woman who did a one woman show um, about NDAs, signing NDAs, because she signed several of them over her lifetime in advertising. Uh, A friend of hers reached out to me and said, I know that you've done a lot with women and with sexual harassment. I think you might want to write about this story. So we did like an hour call and she told me her whole story and her son passed away. It was this whole thing. Um, So I kind of rely on people who I know in the industry who know me and what I care about to reach out about what's going on. And I can't cover everything, of course, but I try to Mm -hmm. cover what I think is the most important. And if you could be on stage at Cannes right now, solo, and have a message, what would that be? What would be the one thing you could, you would share? I think my message would be that agencies and brands really need to celebrate the unique voices within their companies, um, like the GGs of the world at Vice. And I would love to be on a panel in Cannes with people like that doing a, you know, just a fireside chat with a bunch of really unique people who have different perspectives than you might expect. A question that I have is you, you started out covering sports. Um, are you a huge sports fan or 
Do you play Pop Warner? <laughs> <laughs> I like playing sports. Um, and I, It'd be amazing you know, like, if you were playing football with eight-year-old I really, kids. I mean, yeah. Very incredible. <laughs> Between that and M&M's. I, um, I, yeah, I, uh, yeah, no, I play a lot of sports and I work out. I do a lot of different um, workouts. I Most people, I feel like, who know me know I lost 60 pounds on Weight Watchers when I was 18. Um, so I Yeah. So plug for Weight Watchers. I was just going to say yeah. M&M's, Weight Watchers. Yeah. Like, Gail Tifford is like one of my mentors and she's at Weight Watchers and I love her. Um, but yeah, so I, I do work out a lot and I try to mix it up and I'll do like boxing or like, you know, like spinning or running or whatever. Um, I don't follow as many sports as I used to. Um, but you know, I do enjoy going to the game. I went to a Yankees mm-hmm. game recently, so it's fun. Um, and a question I have for you is what is great about this industry that George at 80 years old just can't <laughs> sort of see, but that, you know, from like, you've covered everything. You talk to agencies, you talk to creators, creatives, you talk to CMOs, marketers, you've talked to the brave and the bold, the ones that aren't afraid to get fired. What do the naysayers not get about this industry that should give us all hope? I think when you see work that's being created, that is like the Nike work, or that is like, you know, the P&G, the look or the talk, that's um, really pushing the needle on some important issues. uh, That's amazing. And these brands have so much money and brands have the ability to, and agencies have the ability to cross borders in ways Mm -hmm. that a lot of NGOs can't even. Mm -hmm. Um, And they can speak to issues that maybe governments are afraid to talk about or politicians can't talk about. Um, So that's really exciting. And I mean, it's about creating culture. And I think that agencies are doing a better job at pushing the envelope a little bit um, and pushing brands. So yeah, I think that's what it is. Any final thought? The last, the last word is yours. So if there's any final thought you have, Lindsay, um, we'd love to hear it. My final thought would be, that I think passion should drive everything. And if we have passionate people in the industry, that's the most important thing. And that's how we're going to get the best work and the most creative campaigns and the most amazing content. So everyone should stay passionate. And uh, for people who want to reach you, um, what is the best way to um, for people to reach you if they want to uh, connect with you? Yeah, I mean, um, my email and my cell phone number are on the website, on the contact us page at campaignlive.com. And um, my Instagram, Twitter, they can DM me, Instagram message me, LinkedIn, I'm on all of those things. I would encourage everybody, as somebody who follows Lindsay on social media, uh, I would encourage everybody to read what you write and to take in the messages and to, it's great content, it's great reading, especially if you're in this industry. Um, It really keeps us up to date about what we should be aspiring to, not just where we've been. Um, But uh, with that, we want to thank Lindsay for coming out. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you so much. Uh, And thank you, Amber. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay, so much for being here and for everybody listening. And Natasha. Lindsay, thank you so much. Uh, And I am Ritesh. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. This has been Content Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at contentisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.